If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. Here we are with our final installment, part seven of this series on critical nymphing concepts. So almost all of our focus throughout this season has been on achieving dead drifts. Likewise, the nine essential skills for tight line and Euronymphing is sort of the companion series for this one, and most of that is about dead drifting too. Now I say most, and I mean it. Our efforts with a nymph are focused on dead drifts. We're aiming for natural looks that imitate the real bugs down there. So we try to stay in one lane. We try to find the right speed and the right depth. Most of the articles on trout bitten about nymphing also assume we're aiming for dead drifts. Same with the videos too. I mean, all of that. And why? Because it usually works. That's what usually works the best. That's our baseline. But tonight, our topic is about getting something other than a dead drift. How can we add animation to a nymph that seals the deal? Something that either grabs a trout's attention and attracts it to the fly, or the chosen animation actually mimics something natural that the real bugs are doing at the moment. Of course, we'll talk about hatches and emerging insects, how all of that factors in here. But in truth, animating the nymph, within reason, can work at any time of the year, in any water, regardless of the bug life or the conditions. We spend so much time refining presentations and trying to achieve these perfectly natural dead drifts that moving the nymph a bit, animating the fly, is kind of liberating. It's fun. But moving our nymph at random, Moving it accidentally or relabeling drag as enticing motion doesn't work so well. Stripping or swinging a nymph like a streamer? Well, everything works sometimes, right? But not so much. More often, it's subtle motions to a nymph that add an extra spark to the presentation. These are mostly additions to a dead drift and not a full abandonment of the dead drift principles we try so hard to achieve. 
All right, then. That's our topic for part seven, this season finale. And here we are. And I want to thank everyone out there for your support this season. Thank you to our sponsors as well. And thanks to my friend here, Austin Dando, for showing up and looking good for seven weeks. Seven weeks in a row, bud. You look good. It's not easy. <laughs> you know, actually, I don't look good at all with how terrible my uh, web camera is. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm like 240p over here. I'm living in 2009. <laughs> you're not even 2009 i wish i was in 2009 yeah you're like 1984 (laughs) (laughs) everything's all boxy it's rough you already dropped out once we had to reboot Mm -hmm. yeah it's a downgrade from last week oh yeah um how about a proper introduction though because we've been doing this all season allow me to introduce my buddy mr president mr former president austin dando hey now Okay, back uh, now. I'm you wanted to be president, right? You yeah. right. You wanted to be president all season. You were <laughs> you were angling for it. Now you got that's it. A, that's a pretty good uh, culmination. You like it? Not bad. You were the president. Go ahead, brag about it. Oh yes, uh, I was president of the Penn State Fly Fishing Club. Hey now, uh, from roughly 2014 to 2018. That's how you got to know Joe Humphreys. Yeah, that's right. Joe used to come into the the club once a year or so, and he who would always have a, a casting on the lawn uh, night. And hmm. we met every Thursday night, and we went out to the the front lawn of the business building, and all the students would line up, and we cast you know in the grass, and he'd walk down the line and critique and help and encourage uh, each you. student as he saw fit. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I like it. Yeah. So Austin, I always love putting the end cap on a project like this. It feels good, right? It's like finishing a song that you've been working on to write and record once you're done you always have it you know what i yeah, mean it does feel good um each one of these we do it's very satisfying to go back and look at just myself to recap on topics and i know and just brush up on things and i'll, I'll go back and learn things that i'll miss in a conversation when you and i were talking and it's, it's you always learn something new i know so my grandfather used to say something like this at the end of one thing always leaves space for the beginning of something new Mm. <laughs> he was pretty insightful. I like that. Right. I love that part of life. It's cool. So we have a lot of new things on the horizon, actually, coming up real quick. We have Patagonia. You and I are traveling right. buddies. One week right. from today that we're recording That's this right, right dude. now, we will be mm-hmm. on a plane on headed a plane. to South America. How long is that flight? Uh, so we're flying from Pittsburgh to Atlanta. And that's only a couple hours. But when we go from Atlanta to Buenos Aires, it's going to be 10 hours. Right. So that's the that's the long haul. That's that's not that bad. No. You just take a nap. Do I have to hold your hand when we take off? You gonna be okay? I'll be all right. I'm worried about you. You haven't flown in two decades. <laughs> that's true. It's been a long time. <laughs> I've been asking Austin all these questions. I'm like, what should I pack? What should I do? How much money do I need? Can I use a credit card outside of the United States? <laughs> what about my phone plan? <laughs> yeah. Austin is Mr. World Traveler. Been to Sweden. Uh. No, Switzerland. The same thing. Mm, not, but okay. Not. <laughs> Just made enemies again. That's right. Took a neutral place and you made enemies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So we got Patagonia coming up. And um, we also have, and again, we promised this and here it comes. Troutpitten Live streaming podcast is coming to YouTube. I know. Uh, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a for sure thing now. I like it when we promise things and it happens. It almost always does. That's right. You got to do what you say you're going to do. 
That's right. What are, what are we going to do when it comes to a live podcast, Austin? And you can't, uh, you know, get take three, take four, take five, just to say one simple <laughs> sentence. <laughs> what are we going to um, do? I'm going to speak cautiously. Cautiously. Yeah. It will. It'll be a different feel. We're looking forward to it. It will. It will. Hopefully we settle in and I'm sure we'll find a, a, a rhythm. I hope so. Uh, Trout Pit and Live streaming podcast on YouTube happens, well, right after this podcast is published. So Tuesday, February 27th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join us. Seriously, it's live. So come with questions. And our topic is uh, Delhi's Super Paws. I just published that article last Thursday. So we'll have Delhi and the rest of the crew on a live podcast for a conversation that's loosely based around the Super Paws. Uh, yeah, you can ask questions in the chat, and we'll try to answer them. So mark that down, everybody. Eight o'clock, and don't be late. Don't be you? late. Don't be late, as Grobe says. That's right. Seriously, we hope you'll join us and uh, make it something special. Been looking forward to it for a long time. Even sort of practicing for it with this uh, new software. All right, then. Animating the nymph or getting something other than a dead drift. You know, this is my favorite topic when talking to other nymph anglers who are really into it i guess what do you do with a nymph when they don't eat any of your really good dead drifts uh first and we we should do this for a 10 second recap of this season in this series we've talked about keeping everything in one lane about being low enough for long enough fishing close instead of far away having more influence or less using a suspender or an indicator Drifting three different Indy. ways. <laughs> Don't call it an indie. <laughs> Drifting three different ways in three different zones. Choosing the right weight and managing line on the water when you have to. So all of that was in an effort to get a great dead drift. But now, Austin, we're going to forget all of that. None of it matters. And we're just going to move the fly around, right? <laughs> just move it. Just uh, move it. It's okay. Yeah, not, not exactly. Uh, it's, in my opinion, it's more about adding subtle motion than it is extreme um action Fair. Uh, something that still can look natural but now we're going to start moving the fly a little bit well that's a good point outside of the baseline of a dead drift that's the word i think that's a, that's the word natural versus maybe attractive drifts i wrote a trout an article about this and i say like no matter what kind of fly fishing we're doing no matter what kind of fishing we're doing that's our choice are we going to try to show the trout something that is natural or attractive are you trying to show trout something that they see all the time, looks like the bugs and the bait fish down there, and are you trying to convince them that, hey, this is a real thing, eat it, you see it all the time? Right. Or are you trying to show trout something that's attractive? Right. That's the way I put it, attractive. Something that makes them think, like, what the hell is that? I got to eat it and find out. <laughs> like, we know trout are down there, some trout are down there testing things out pretty often, right? You can go find a video footage of trout eating sticks and bubblegum wrappers and stuff. Now, those are the dumb trout. Like those are the ones you usually catch, but <laughs> PA gold, uh, PA gold. That, that'll be. <laughs> I never did make that the cover shot. Anyway, not all trout want to have an attractive presentation, but plenty do. And uh, even the smartest trout in the world are, let's say, most educated. <laughs> it's like you got to be politically <laughs> correct about yeah. it, right? <laughs> you can't, don't want to offend any trout. <laughs> because not saying the other ones aren't just as smart yeah, any true. trout right any trout can be just as smart as the other ones some of them are just perhaps more educated mm. they've had more experience and so those ones some of them even too will still eat attractive dumb guy presentations 
<laughs> dumb guy. <laughs> Look at the dumb trout over there. Idiot. Good job. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> That's the new one. Austin and I were out fishing, what, last weekend, two weekends ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know who said it first, but, you know, we put stuff in the tree and we break off and whatever. Yeah. I think, Austin, you said it first. You go, good job, idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we're in middle school. You like it. Made me feel good about myself. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> anyway. So another way to put natural versus attractive is maybe convinced or curious. Yeah, yeah. Good fishing often combines these ideas throughout all the seasons, I think. Uh, this is a good concept. What are you trying to achieve? A natural look or an attractive one? Right. And that's something that we can consider all day long, um, especially with nymph fishing, what we're trying to do down there. Yeah. I like to think of, there's a, there's a range within, let's say, attractive. It really works. You can get, you know, kind of too extreme with your attractive presentations. And like I kind of I said agree. in the intro, don't move it like a streamer. Right. A nymph is not going to do streamer things. They're not going to eat that you know, very often, <laughs> except the uneducated, very uneducated. Um, and it's not their fault that they're not educated. Trout. Not at all. Um, so there, again, there's a, there's a fair range with, with, within where you can operate with these attractive looks, which is what we're here to talk about, right? Things that are too extreme often just don't attract trout to actually eat. It might get their attention, but they go, whoa, I'm out of here. I'm not eating that. So too much motion with a fly the size of a nymph, yeah, no thanks. Right? Yeah. Too much motion turns them off. Right. And we've kind of just alluded to this already, but a wild versus stock stream, you're going to find mm. very different reactions to this yep. Uh, yep. actively yep. nymphed uh, approach. Or even if you go ahead and streamer fish your nymph, you may have uh, stocked fish that eat that presentation. Oh, yeah. Again, we, we say be careful what you learn sometimes. Um, but what we're trying to say, again, is, is wild versus stock or fertile or infertile rivers will react yeah. differently uh, to the yeah. way that we fish them. Um, a stock stream may require a, a more active approach if those fish are kind That's of conditioned to, to wanting something maybe more tantalizing and, and has more of emotion through its drift where a dead yeah. drift looks boring to them and whatever it mm. may be. Um, that's my experience. <laughs> boring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it looks like everything else. I don't want that. I know. I think we have a pretty well balanced perspective because I know you fished for a lot of stock trout growing up and you still do. So do I. Yeah. Uh, and that's my point. Like I grew up fishing for almost all stocked trout. And now I right. fish for almost all wild trout, but I absolutely go and I mean, because we're in Pennsylvania there's plenty of opportunities to fish for stocked trout. And so we see the differences. We're not saying that you don't have some very educated stocked trout in there either. Once they're in there for a while, all that stuff. You made a good point about fertile versus infertile streams. Did I tell you about the guy who told me that they catch 100 trout every time? Uh, you briefly mentioned that uh, <laughs> On the last podcast, week or whatever. Though? No, when we were fishing, you had said something about that. So I'll say, I, I had a guy get in touch with me and he said, hey, um, in a comp scene over here, he was overseas. And he said, and when we catch, in a four-hour session, we'll catch 100 fish. Hmm. And he was a good guy and clearly knew his stuff and everything. But, like, I don't want to catch 100 fish in four hours. It's not hard enough. You know, <laughs> I wrote an article not too long ago about, like, the, the title was, We Don't Want Easy Fishing. That was the title. Yeah, I'd rather have 200 fish in an hour. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, but really, I know you're on the same page. As yeah, I'd rather catch I, yeah, just 20 fish in four hours. That's still a lot of fish in four hours. 
Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we do that, right? My point is yeah. we don't want it to be easy. Anyway, I got to talking with the guy a little bit more. Um, and he said, yeah, we have very infertile streams and these are stocked fish. Well, what do we say about the Castleman? Well, he said it doesn't count. That's right. Castleman doesn't count. It's the only stream we ever spot burn here. Because <laughs> it doesn't oh, count. Funny. <laughs> right? We just throw it under the bus. Yeah. Go fish I, the Castleman. It doesn't count. I do have to wonder how much you learn when you have a uh, environment like that. You can Good. go out and predictably just do well all the time. Well, if yeah. you're never being really challenged, right? Mm, you're probably not having to do a whole lot different than what you did yesterday. Maybe you are. I don't know. But it wouldn't seem as attractive. No. No, no, no. It's not as attractive. It's not as interesting. Uh, th- th- what is there to figure out every day? I don't, yeah. I don't know. If you're catching 100, heck, if you're catching 80 <laughs> or 60 <laughs> in four hours, I'm going to be pretty happy. I'm going to say, I got it. I got it down. But then take those same presentations over a wild trout scenario where it's a very fertile stream and mm-hmm. you are not going to catch 100 trout. I don't care how great the tactics are. You're not going to catch 100 trout in four hours. Anyway, anyway, so wild versus stocked, fertile versus infertile. You're going to have a different response from different fish about natural versus attractive presentations, whether you're convincing them or you're making them curious, right? I mean, that's kind of two different things. You know what? We're talking about this hundred trout things. Sometimes trout respond to flies like they're like like they're worried the nymph might get away <laughs> or like they're they're worried their buddy yeah. might get to it first i swear lots lots of times trout are going right. i'm getting that before you do you know they're going for the nymph they're traveling for it they're moving absolutely i've seen the same thing happen where maybe there's a fish that's dominant in a certain lie and it's kind of holding things down and that's yeah. the boss and it's going to move around and, and intercept the flies especially in an infertile stream, it could be infertile with bug life too, not just fish. Oh, right. And right. when there's fish in a stream that doesn't have a lot of right. food, they're even more uh, willing to move and to go yeah. hunt those things yeah, down. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Like they, they don't have much to eat. So they're looking for anything. And that attractive presentation can often get them going. So let's move into a few ways yeah. to make things attractive or to animate a nymph. The landscape is changing for trout anglers. No doubt you've already noticed another truck at your favorite access point and seen more anglers on the water. For those looking for new challenges and fishing opportunities, Trout Routes has the data to help you avoid the crowds and explore new public water. Trout Routes has mapped more than 50,000 trout streams across the country with curated detailed maps of public land and access points. Trout Routes has developed integrated and interactive data, putting the tools in your hands to research new water and help you navigate in the wild to know exactly where you stand in the current. It's still up to you to find those deep pools and undercuts, but Trout Routes helps you get on the water, connecting you with resources like fly shops and stream gauges for trout water across the country. Download Trout Routes in the App Store today and visit troutroutes.com to learn more. For over a decade, Smith Creek has helped anglers just like you to free up your hands, hold your gear within easy reach, and keep our waters clean. Smith Creek's family of patented accessories are tested guide tough and backed by good old-fashioned customer service. Crafted from rugged materials like anodized marine-grade aluminum and UV-resistant nylon, Smith Creek products are hand-assembled with pride and built to last. To stay up to date on their latest specials and new product releases, be sure to follow Smith Creek on Instagram at Smith Creek NZ. Quality you can depend on from a brand you can trust. 
That's Smith Creek. So here's one. We're, we call it a cross lead. You cast an outside of your rod tip range. If you're tight lining, for example, yeah, we just did a video called the golden ratio. That was Josh's term for casting one rod length over and about two rod lengths up. So you got 10 feet over and 20 feet up. I'm rounding everything off. And if you go outside of that, if you go further than 10 feet over, then if you cast 20 feet over, well, then it's not, things aren't tracking down one one seam. We've talked about this in the, is everything mm-hmm. in one lane? If you go outside of your rod tip range, then things are not going to be in one lane if you're on a tight line. So we call it a cross lead. Now, sometimes that cross lead is attractive and trout eat it. Mm. So it looks like a nymph that's crossing seams. Um, it starts in one lane, like you said, in the that's Olympic right. swimming pool. It starts <laughs> in lane one yep. and it ends, where does it end up? Ends out in lane two. That's right. Or three. Yeah. Or four. <laughs> but I think, too, at those crossing seams, we're not yeah. looking to do it really fast. You know, you say lane one or lane four, right? Right. If you're but, trying to do this well. Yeah. Like, we're not okay. We're not saying to rip them across the, the river. Right. You could do it in a series of uh, kind of slow progressions through a drift. Nice. But uh, if, if you make it look like it's swimming erratically across the surface of the water, it's it's really not what we're talking about. It's not the best. Anyway, it might be. But most times, again, subtle movements, subtle animations usually outperforms, you know, these big, bold or let's say extreme motions. But a cross lead is absolutely going to outperform a dead drift some days, right? So we're going to walk through some different things. We got Sawyer's induced take. We got the Lysing ring lift. We got kind of a lifted up against the current taps and jiggles and shutters. We're going to talk about other motions and then some what I call crossover techniques too. We're going to go through those. And I kind of like to ask this question at the end. So does the cross lead look natural or attractive, Austin? Are trout convinced or curious on the cross lead? Mm. You're the expert. What do you think? It's a great question. I mean, hell, you're 29. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great question because, again, it's seasonal, right? Right. And there's a lot of movement in the springtime and early summer that doesn't exist in the dead of winter. Yeah. But when I picture a nymph, and if I'm going to say if it's more natural or attractive, floating down the river, rarely do I see them crossing seams. Yeah. So to me, it's unnatural. And in softer water, they may be able to do that, swim over, mm, things like good that. Point. But my instinct would say it looks unnatural when it happens. Or attractive. But when there's active, yes. But when there is a lot of bug movement in the water, mm-hmm. and fish are kind of getting used to seeing that, and maybe they're they're emerging through different seams, they may be more curious and more, uh, and they may be less cautious to eat mm. something like that. That's a good point. That's convinced, curious, or less cautious. <laughs> You're just making things more complicated, but yeah. that's what we do here at Trout Pitten. Letting the guard down some. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. It's time to get complicated. <laughs> Thanks, Austin. So let's move into Sawyer's induced take. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. There you go. Drop the mic. That's right. <laughs> all right, seriously. Uh, Sawyer's induced take. People talk about it all the time. This is your classic movement on a nymph. Uh, probably Frank Sawyer, right? It's probably the most effective for me. If you do it, I think, right, or like Frank Sawyer was talking about, it's very subtle. Um, it's just a simple lift of the nymph at some point during the drift. And Sawyer would describe in his writings that you're going to lift it, you know, kind of right before it gets to the trap. Um, make him an offer he can't refuse, right? To give him that little spark. You can move it a little bit 
or a lot. It's a lift. It's a little bit of a lift. And it can be small or large. I'd say do it small, which will usually work better. And it can be done at any point through the drift. Maybe you can't see the trout. Now, what Sawyer mm-hmm. was mostly talking about was, was sight nymphing to yeah. trout. You and I, Austin, rarely get that opportunity. That's right. Do you think we're going to have that opportunity in Patagonia? I think we will. We better. Sight nymphing? Or I'm going home. <laughs> no, just um, seeing, the, seeing the trout that you're fishing to. Yeah, I, I really do think we will. Me too. We seriously don't get that much around here, right? I mean... No. Do you think it's because the like the we always have that green limestone tint to the water? It's hard to see through. It is. And uh, I think that's exactly what it is, really. And... Until it gets to be summertime when things are low and clear and also really sunny, yeah, then we can do it. But unless those conditions are all in line, we really can't. Yeah. So Sawyer was talking about seeing the trout and lifting it just at the right time when you knew where your nymph was. And Okay. But you can do it at any point during the drift, maybe where you just think the trout should be. You know, you pick your mm-hmm. best spot. My uncle, when we were fishing minnows, we used to do something with the minnow. We're right where we thought the best fish should be. We would pick it up. We didn't see those trout back then. Same as same as now, really. Yeah, and that lift could be a little or a lot. Um, personally, I like to kind of do a slow, small lift, and then mm. you know, drop it back down and continue through the drift. Maybe yeah. get it a second time. Ah, right. And it really can be done at any point. It doesn't have to happen just when you get down to where you think the fish might be. You could do it mid column if if they're feeding mid column. Good um, point. You know. Mm-hmm. But it does start with a dead drift. You know, the induced take mm. is a lift outside of our baseline of a dead drift. There you go. I think most of these animations, for me, most of these animations kind of start, well, they do start with a dead drift. That's a key point. You're not just throwing right. it in there and just moving to fly however you want. Eh. They need to see it. It's convincing. And then you can move it, like Frank Sawyer suggests, and perhaps make them curious. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a neat way to uh, think about it maybe so does sawyer's induced take look natural or attractive or trout convinced or curious maybe it is both right i'd have to think it is i mean it's never one thing or another in fishing especially in this case you establish that dead drift and then you lift out of that dead drift just a little bit right i'm going to go back to the same kind of thought process i had before that has to do a lot with seasonal activity of what's going on uh, Mm. for bug life i don't know about you but i don't do particularly well Mm. I'd say more times than not, this type of tactic works better in the springtime than it does in the winter. No, I'm with you. Now, yeah. it will work on occasion on certain special days yep. uh, in the wintertime, but because of those uh, experiences I've had, that's what makes me think it has to be both. Like I said about the Sawyer-induced take, that this is probably the one I use the most. It's just a slight lift out of a dead drift. I like what you said. You can, you can let it fall right back down. If that doesn't work, yeah. let it go back down. And when we say slight, well, when I say slight, I'm talking two inches, three, four right. inches maybe. I'm not talking about a foot. I'm not jigging it up and letting it fall. I don't know. Jig to me means you're lifting a little bit further. Yeah. Eh, maybe that's not fair either, but that, that's the way I think about it. This is just this slight lift. And yeah, you can let it back down. Sure. Maybe you could do that a couple times. And I'd say because of that description you just gave, it arguably could be very natural. Yeah. Because the, the currents aren't always mm. the same as you travel downstream and it could hit a pocket of faster water somewhere and, and be bumped up and, and drop back down. Or yeah. it could be the, the nymph swimming itself that has the ability to do that. Right on. So I wouldn't think it's um, 
you know, an unnatural look for that subtle motion to happen at all. That's a good thought. I never really went through it like this, but I mean, you've seen mayflies, for example, get to the top of the water. You know, they're trying to lift off, but their wings are still wet. Mm-hmm. They try to fly, and then they fall back to the surface. And they yeah. try to fly, and they fall back to the surface. People say that they're hopping. Mayflies are hopping. Mm-hmm. I mean, we understand what's going on. Maybe the same kind of thing happens underneath where they're trying to emerge, and then they go, eh, I'm not yet, <laughs> and go back down. I'm going to emerge. Yeah. Eh, not yet. Right. Kind of a struggle. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Are you a mayfly? It's a good theory. No, never have been. Then you can't really speak intelligently about this. <laughs> never have been. I'm not educated like a man. All right, then. We're going to move into the Lysingring lift. I have trouble with that word, with that man's name. <laughs> we're, we're going to keep saying it anyway. Uh, let's tackle this one. I did a little research on this because I thought I knew what it was, but I wasn't sure. And man, am I glad I looked it up. Because mm. um, this is mentioned a lot. Well, Lysingring was from our area, but I've heard different variations. I knew that I had heard different variations. Austin, what do you believe to be the Lysingring lift? Yeah. I, I bet it's the same as me. I always thought Lysingring was kind of similar to Sawyer, but okay. I also hear it described often as you know, letting the nymph drift past you and then letting it swing back up under tension mm. from the current. So be honest, I don't have a great grasp on the, the actual definition. Yeah, and what you said last is what I always thought it was. I And I think that's the most common understanding. Okay. I thought it was when the fly, when the nymph goes out past your position, and then the tension of the river comes against the nymph, and then everything lifts up out of the dead drift, and you can let it lift as far as you want. So it's mm-hmm. against the current. Now let's get to that, because that's not it. Even though that's, that's the most common understanding, I think, it's wrong. That's not what Lysengren was saying. It's a tactic. It obviously works. You and I both yeah. do that. Absolutely. We'll get to that in a minute. But if we're really talking about what Big Jim Lysenring from Allentown, Pennsylvania described, you like that? I looked it up. That was his nickname. All right. What's your nickname? Was it actually? Yeah. Uh, my nickname is Young Love. Young Love. I see that on the screen. You'll never catch up either. No. You'll always no, thank be Thank goodness. <laughs> All right. Seriously, he was from Allentown. Allentown, PA. So I don't have his book but I found passages in multiple places. Quotes from his book, which was titled The Art of Tying the Wet Fly. This was in 1941. These are old tactics, Austin, so they don't work anymore, right? It's almost as old as you. (laughs) One of the coolest things you can do if you're a new angler is go read some old stuff. Mm. Ah, Everything old is new again. For the record, this book was reprinted in 1971, with some additional material by Vernon Hindi, where it was titled Art of Tying the Wet Fly and Fishing the Flimph. And I said that right. Flimph is uh, Hindi's word for like a nymph that rides real close to the surface. It has some soft tackle and stuff like that on it. Kind of a combination between a wet fly and a nymph. Anyway, here's the point. What Lysingring described mostly happens upstream and not downstream of your position. Kind of like what you were saying, Austin. It's more similar to the Sawyer-induced take, but there's more to it, and we're going to get to this. Lysingring talks about casting upstream, establishing a dead drift, and then before the fly reaches the trout, allowing tension to form in the line and the leader that's on the water to sweep that nymph up through the column and then keep going. So it's kind of like Sawyer's induced take, but you just keep it moving up. So it's like a long induced take. Yeah. Like really an emerging insect. And I've always thought, 
when insects um, emerge, they're not going to fight the current. They're not going to swim against the current. They're going to move with it. So this sure. makes sense to me now. It, I finally, it finally makes sense. So that fly then doesn't go past your position. Mm. The fly lifts, but it keeps moving downstream toward you. So the fly doesn't fight the current and then swing up through and against it. And then I'm throwing this in there because I like it. Here's the quote. Let me read this quote. Um, and there's two reasons. First, I just love this stuff and I find it really interesting. And I think other people will. And second, because I know people won't believe us. <laughs> They're yeah. going to say, no, the Lysengrin lift is, but no, we're going to say it, you know, from the horse's mouth. Because the other idea about this Lysengrin lift is so ingrained, I think, out there. It's against the current. So you can find quotes from Lysengring's book on the web. And because, uh, like I said, I don't have it here on my bookshelf. It's very expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive if you find it in, uh, you know, on Amazon or on eBay or something. And uh, I'm going to read this passage from Gerald Cox, who does a nice job of condensing this discussion on his blog, Hits and Misses. So this is from Gerald. He says, Lysengring describes the lift in his last chapter, Fishing a Wet Fly. His technique is based on first spotting a trout and then casting a fly upstream some 15 feet or more above the trout. As the fly sinks to the bottom, the angler follows it with his rod, allowing no slack but being careful not to make the fly move unnaturally. Here's the quote. Now watch the fly, Lysingring instructs the reader. It is almost to him and would have to travel about four more feet to pass right by his nose without looking at it unless it can be made to appear alive and escaping. At this point, the progress of the rod following the fly is checked, and the pressure of the water against the stationary line and leader is slowly lifting the fly. As the fly rises in the current, Lysengring continues, its movement attracts the attention of the trout. Now the fly becomes slightly efficient or animated and deadly, and the trout notices it. The hackles or legs start to work, opening and closing, and our trout is backing downstream in order to watch the fly a little more because he is not quite persuaded as yet. Now you can see the fly become even more deadly. As more water flows against the line, the fly rises higher off the bottom and the hackle is working in every fiber. It will jump out of the water in a minute now and the trout is coming for it. Bang! And he's got it. <laughs> now that's all from page 123 in uh, 1941. Cool language. And it's... It's good stuff, right? It's a good description. Yeah, that's great. I like how he yeah, writes. I like how he's, uh, I like his know, style there. The writing. Old fishing books are cool. Yeah. Bang, he's got it. That's awesome. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> Wham. Yeah. And then I set the hook. <laughs> I set the hook. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at the end of the Lysenry lift. I think we all understand what we're talking about now or what, what Big Jim was talking about. Yeah. So ask our question. Does the Lysengring lift look natural or attractive? Are the trout convinced or curious? <laughs> I think it looks like both. We're going to keep having the same answer. Yeah, uh, it's attractive because it can look natural, I yeah. think, too. Ooh. Uh, again, because of those emergences, it, kind of selling the drift the whole way through. Nice. And saying, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm the real thing. Yeah. I'm the real thing. And they go for it. I can see how this would be extremely uh, rewarding, fun to see it. Definitely. If you could see the trout, oh my. <laughs> Almost like a streamer eat where you could, you know, follow it off the bank. Nice. But now you're just following it up through the column. Nice. It makes me jealous of, of, of those situations where you can see the trout. Because if you could yeah. see him and you get a nice dead drift beside him on the left side, a nice dead drift that goes to his right side, 
then why wouldn't you start playing with the net? You know? <laughs> yeah. On the next trip, well, I'm gonna lift it up a little bit and drop it. Well, next time I'm gonna do this lysing ring thing and I'm gonna I'm gonna lift it. I'm gonna keep it going. And oh, here he comes and bam. What yeah. did he say? That's <laughs> awesome. Bang, he's got it. it. Bang. <laughs> he's got it. <laughs> Page one twenty three. All right. So what we kind of thought about the lysing ring lift there, let's talk about that. Allowing the fly to swing out and swing up at the end of the drift under tension mm. against the current. We could call this lift against the current for sake of That's conversation. Did you come up with that yourself? And I'm not going to claim that. Lift against the current? Yeah, I'll let you have that. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to call that, right? But it works sometimes. Don't call it the Lysingring lift. It does work, right? Um, I've had the most success with that during a sulfur hatch. Hmm. I've told many people this and i don't maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy by now because i got sulfur season i'm gonna i'm gonna let it go past me and lift against the current lies ring left no (laughs) (laughs) i think everybody understands what we're talking about yeah so does it look uh natural or attractive are the trout convinced or curious Mm. i don't think it looks very natural yeah i think that's where this one changes Mm. I think this one is a little unnatural and requires a little bit more curiosity. Because like you had just said, it's not that the the nymph is going to swim upstream or it's going to fight the current to hold its place. It's not going to do that. They don't have the propulsion system to do it. Yeah. No. So I think it is uh, more of an attractive or curious uh, presentation. You could certainly have it fighting the currents, but then, you know, kind of dropping your rod tip and feeding mm-hmm. some line. You could soften that presentation up, that that fighting against the current look. You could soften that up, and then it could look more convincing. But yeah. that's what it is. And I think there is a, a point in the end of the drift where maybe it starts to lift, and it's not going upstream. And it's just starting mm-hmm. to lift kind of straight up towards the air. Right maybe on. that's the point where it looks most natural. And then the further mm-hmm. you go, the less natural it begins to look. Well, thinking back on it, I've definitely done the best right as it starts to lift. Right. That's kind of what I'm thinking. It's probably right when it looks the most natural. Mm -hmm. I think it's a neat question to ask, though. You know, are they convinced or curious? Basically, does it look natural? Right. I'll say on the days that where they eat that, let's say it's not even on purpose, but I'm I'm late on my drift or something and I'm I'm picking up to make my next cast and they eat right there. Well, I'm going to try to recreate that because sometimes I almost luck into that being the right situation where I should exactly where I should have been trying it earlier, but wasn't. So, um, especially during hatch season, like you said sulfurs, uh, mm. let that drift go down a couple of times throughout the day and see if uh, you know it, it yields you anything. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the trout bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well-fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. To tie the best flies, you need the best materials. With decades of commercial fly tying experience, Fooling Mill understands what it takes to tie a great fly. Over the past several years, they've worked hard to source and prepare a range of fly tying materials that will elevate your experience at the vise. Fooling Mill fly tying materials have arrived with a range of over 1,400 products. You'll find the staples like marabou, bucktail, and rabbit sonker strips, 
You'll also find CDC stripped peacock quills, 12 dubbing ranges, synthetics, chenilles, yarns, and wools. All fooling mill materials come in an extensive range of colors that are consistently dyed. So what you receive from them tomorrow will be the same color next year. Their materials go through a rigorous quality control process. So before they're packaged and shipped out, you can be sure they're up to the highest quality standards. Ask for fooling mill fly tying materials at your local dealer or find them online at foolingmill.com. I like what you said there. Almost all of these presentations I happen upon by accident. You know, if, yeah. if the action's slow and I feel like I'm getting a good dead drift, then I'll start to just kind of experiment. Really, the one I think I happen on the most is a cross lead. Mm. I swear, I hope my dad doesn't listen to this, but my dad does. Look, <laughs> he won't wade like he needs to. Yeah. So my dad will often cast out and across, you know, way outside his rod tip uh-huh. range, and he gets a ton of cross lead. And there have been many times, many times, we're on our camping trips, you know, and I'm looking upstream, I'm like, dad's banging trout. Good for him. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I'm catching like, yeah. you know, he's, he's doubling me up. And I'm like, man, I feel like I'm getting good drifts. And I mean it. I've gone upstream multiple times and I've been like, that's what it is. You know, they're, they're eating a cross lead better than a true dead drift. And I've thought something. that multiple times fishing with my dad. Yeah, often find it out by accident, like you said. Mm-hmm. So another thing we could do here to animate these nymphs, taps to the rod, or just try to make the nymph just shudder or, or jiggle a little bit down there, just a little bit of wiggle, instead of actually moving it up out of a zone or across lanes, you know, with a cross lead, you can just make it just kind of move. Um, I like this one a lot, and I've seen more people writing about it or demonstrating it in videos. George has a nice video where he talks about just tapping the rod mm with his finger. I don't know how much that actually animates the fly. There's a lot of conditions there, right? If you're in faster water, does it matter that much? Probably not. Weight of the flies. Yes, all of that stuff. There are a lot of conditions. With the nymph established into a dead drift, though, we can tap that rod in some way. And if we're in touch with the fly, like you said, if if the weight's right and the water type is right, and again, we have no indie here. We're talking about being tight, so no indicator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one guy one guy didn't like the word <laughs> anyway so we don't have an indie and and again if we tap the rod then we are directly influencing the fly and that little rod wiggle or shutter that rod tip as it wiggles or shutters um when we tap the rod it translates to the nymph if all your other conditions are right and so george talked about tapping his finger on the top yeah and i do that but more often I'll hit the rod butt. You ever do that? Mm, not really, no. I'm talking about taking my line hand or my stripping hand, whatever you want to call it, my left hand, Austin, mm-hmm. and I'll bring it over and, you know, the the butt of the rod yeah. behind the reel, yeah. I'll hit it, hit it. And I don't mean tap, I'll hit it. Hit it downwards, and, like towards the stream or just hit it up towards the rod tip? Uh, yeah, I don't know that it matters, but I never thought about that. Maybe it matters. I don't hit it down. I just kind of hit it across. You oh, know? okay. Like, like my palms together almost, or my the heels of my hand. That's interesting. I do that more than anything else when I'm talking about these taps and jiggles, yeah. that kind of thing. You're talking about on a um, tight line, you're doing that. Oh, yeah, right. right. Again, no no indicator. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter if you had an indie in there, right? Um, and like we say, your, your leader build and the fly weight matters. Yeah. You can really watch how your leader moves. And that's maybe why I hit the butt of the rod because right. I see my leader move more. It would. And yeah, for sure it does. 
And I don't think it's too much. I mean, actually then, well, you can judge how much is the fly really moving. Mm. Again, water type and all that by seeing how much your leader's wiggling. And of course, everything dissipates the longer the distance is and all that. I just felt like tapping a rod wasn't enough. So I started just hitting that rod. (laughs) Just banging into it. I'm going to say I've caught fish that way that wouldn't need a true dead drift. How many? I don't know. 20. Now we're talking. That's not a lot. That's not a lot, right? Mm. I don't do it very much. No, it's not a lot. But like we just said, sometimes you happen onto this by accident. It's not very often by accident we just start hitting the side of a reel. So what makes you do that? Right. Maybe I should do it more. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should all do it more. I don't know. This swing, there are different things. swing, or, or uh, hmm, come up with a name. Come up Austin. with a name for that. All good things need a name. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We know this. <laughs> so, what's our question, right? Do these taps and jiggles or banging on the butt end of the rod? Does it make the <laughs> Does it make the fly look natural or attractive? And is the trout convinced or curious? Come on, we're following through, Austin. You think there are little flies down there doing a jig? Doing a little dance? I would lean on this one being more attractive. Um, really? I think so. Huh. Because it to me, when I imagine that, it feels like sudden motion and not a slow or subtle movement of, uh, of a nymph down there. But hmm. banging into the side of the rod or tapping it, making it jump up and down and jig, hmm. doesn't feel as natural. No kidding. As attractive. You think the opposite. I do. I do. I feel like this is all maybe the most subtle motion that I do hmm. because, okay, I, I can bang the, I can hit the rod, butt. I'm not hitting it that hard, but anyway, I can make that rod tip move, you know, wiggle quite mm-hmm. a bit, like, you know, but by the time that uh, motion, you know, goes through the leader and gets all the way to the fly, I feel like that fly is not moving much, which is again, why I don't feel like tapping okay. the rod does a whole lot. So I feel like it's a very subtle motion that once again does not cross lead. It's not it's not moving it out of the I lane. I can see that. Yeah. And it's not lifting it up. It's just in position. If you everybody can imagine this, it's just in position, just kind of shivering. <laughs> yeah, and the, the water is absorbing a fair amount of that uh energy oh, yeah. when you hit the right. side of your uh rod or reel. So yeah, maybe yeah. it is really subtle. You have to see it and think about it more. Push your phone out of the water and we'll take some shots. <laughs> I don't have that trust in technology. <laughs> I know, right? I have a Google Pixel and they say, oh, it's IP7 rated. Mm. I don't know if I believe that. But when it breaks, you're not going to help me. So I'm <laughs> not right. going to do it. <laughs> the GoPro, though, I'll tell you, I, I do trust that the GoPro. We oh, should yeah, do that. I trust that Put too. it under the knee, underneath and uh, you can tap the rod and I'll, I'll hit the butt section. We'll see. Okay. It really happens. All right. Do it on Saturday. On a uh, number 12 stone fly. We'll do it Saturday. Hmm. That sounds heavy. I feel like you need a, a lighter. We have to do both. Okay. So, I think that would so you think a lighter fly would uh, shudder more? Yeah. Respond more? I do. Huh. I guess you're right. Less resistance. It's going to move easier with Fair. the uh, with the tippet. That's cool. There's a lot to it. That's that's pretty neat. All right. So are there other motions that we haven't covered here? Yeah. There's there's one in the wintertime I like to do, and that's kind of going back to a jigging motion. Okay. Uh, certain flies work better than others uh, with this. Stone flies or even mop flies, I like to do this with too. When I'm fishing through a really uh, slow, deep hole or something, and I'm I'm more or less leading the flies on this drift, not tracking. Mm. So I'm really steering them and guiding them through the drift uh, nice. of, a, of a deeper run or something. And I will do subtle lifts and jigs and drops throughout that run. 
uh, up and down. If they're not eating a dead drift, I will animate it that way. No kidding. Mm-hmm. You use bigger flies for that? Yeah, I do because I want I want to feel really connected to it. And I think when mm. I lift it up, I also need something that's going to drop back down fairly on demand. Well, you're saying heavier then. Yeah, okay, so fair enough. Um, heavier fly, not necessarily only bigger. Mm. That's cool. I like bigger because I think bigger food forms, obviously, they can move more and they do maybe look yep. more natural, more yeah, convincing. <laughs> convinced or curious there's a theory mm. uh-huh lots of theories not many answers something to believe in there that's right um you can jig it up and down you could strip line you know mm. it seems that people think that when you're stripping line then the fly is moving let's say horizontally uh-huh. or lateral right but if you think about where your rod tip is then the if you strip line then the fly is going to move to your rod tip mm-hmm. yep. and most often that's up that's up. That's right. So I do a lot of, instead of jigging, because to be honest, if you try to jig the nymph with the end of your rod tip, I think you overdo it. Not you, because you're perfect, Austin. You know, presidential. <laughs> He's a president. <laughs> president. Right. I do think the average person, though, um, definitely me, I overdo it too much when I try to jig it up with the rod tip. So I tend to use strips for jigging a lot of times. Strip and let it fall back down. Strip and let it fall back down. Mm-hmm. And that strip, it's not moving it laterally. That strip's moving it toward the rod tip, which is up. So it goes up, and then if I drop the rod after that, I can fall back down. There's a lot you can do with it. Okay. So That was going to be my question. You're not feeding that line back out after your strip, I'm, are you? And I might. Yeah? I might. But more often, I think, I, no, I would not. But I, I might drop that rod subtly. I want the fly to get back down after my jig, right? Yeah, right. I'm saying you can jig... Um, without using the rod tip, you can strip to jig, and yeah. then you gotta let yeah, got let you. the fly get back down. Yeah, there's a there's a give and take there with the rod tip too. You can twitch the rod tip mm-hmm. as well. You know, just little. I do that probably more than actual jigging. Just little pops. Just I mean, like one inch. I strive for seriously like one inch twitches. That's a, to me another more realistic or perhaps natural movement because it's not going anywhere. I mean, these little one-inch twitches from my rod tip, by the time it gets to the nymph, it's right. probably only moving a half inch. You get what I'm It's kind of like the shutter. Yeah, it stays in place, and yet it moves. <laughs> yeah. It's neat stuff to think about. There is so much to think about it, and the more I talk about it, the kind of more I feel like I should be experimenting uh, out there, which is good timing for spring and, and things like that. So Good for you. You learned so much here. <laughs> I already told you that <laughs> once. I don't need to bring it up again. <laughs> You catch so many trout <laughs> next week. Oh, next week I'm catching more than you. Want to keep count? Let's keep count. No, I'm just gonna catch the biggest. I'm just gonna film. My objective. I'm not yeah. even kidding. I'm done joking. <laughs> My objective is to relax. Number one. Number two. Good. I want to get some really nice footage. Yeah. Of I don't know scenery, of course, Definitely. and the the people we're gonna meet down there. Exactly. And then of you catching little dinks hey now and the one bigger trout <laughs> that you might catch <laughs> no really i i do i want to get some really good footage so if i catch less trout if we do keep count and i catch less i have that to fall back on i can say well i wasn't really trying to catch mm. i could have caught as many as i wanted really to wanted to if i <laughs> if i really wanted to i could have caught more <laughs> but i was filming yeah i was bearing. filming but yeah. Don't count my fish. No, exactly. 
Don't count my fish. We have one more thing to talk about here. It's what I call a crossover technique. It's, an, it's another way here to animate the nymphs. Now, I do this a lot, and I first wrote about it in 2017. It's about using a streamer for the main fly and then adding either a tag nymph above that streamer or a trailer nymph behind it. Actually, sometimes I use both. <laughs> is, that, is that wrong? I'll fish three flies. Sounds like cheating. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's legal. No, I'll fish three flies sometimes, and I call it uh, a big rig. Yeah, you gotta have names. You gotta have names for things. And so I'll leave links to that article and another one that's titled uh, Streamer Presentations, the Crossover Technique. Now, I keep the streamer small to medium size, let's say one and a half to maybe three inches. Seriously, three inches is my is my maximum for this because I'm yeah. not moving the streamer very much. But if they get a long time to see the streamer, I think it's easy for them to reject it, you know, if, it, if it's that. too big. Right. Yeah. Also, I'll usually put weight into the fly, but sometimes I'll use split shot. The idea is to fish the streamer a lot like a nymph with this crossover technique, but then put some minor animations into it as well. All the stuff we've been talking about, you know, the shutters and the up and down. And I do that on most of the drifts while I'm doing this crossover technique. I'll animate it a little bit. Again, it's all starting with the baseline of a dead drift. But then because I have a streamer tied on too, maybe on the next cast, I'll chuck it over to the bank and strip, 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 you know, like you would a streamer. Yeah, It's a fun technique for me. The main thing I've been trying to learn in the last couple of years is exactly that. Mm. When I have time on the water to just kind of do what I want to do, I often go to this crossover technique. Again, you got a streamer at the point and then a nymph either trailing it or up above. And I try to do very subtle things. This pairs really nicely, honestly, with Deli's super pause, which we just published the article back on Thursday. It does. It does. Anyway, it's also surprising how often they'll hit one of those nymphs. Even when I think I was moving the streamer quite a bit, they'll still eat the nymph. It, I don't know. It's it's a learning experience, right? You do this much? Yeah. The way I usually end up doing this is if I'm tight line nymphing and mm-hmm. you know a regular dead drift isn't working or whatever flies I'm cycling through aren't, uh, aren't working, I'll clip yeah. off that point fly and I'll add a, a small streamer. Like you said, maybe mm. max three inches for sure but oftentimes more in that one and a half to two inch range. And I'll dead drift the streamer first and maybe slide it off the bank. Yeah, yeah. Give it some slight jiggles, some twitches, yeah. uh, stall it out. And, you know, we talk about the the dance, uh, do all yeah. those things and kind of combine dance. them and keep yeah. the nymph on because, well, maybe they'll eat the nymph. Uh, if yeah, they, why not? Yeah, if they see that big food form, maybe that's too much. Well, they see mm-hmm. the next meal, that's okay, I'll eat that. Uh, I don't really do the three fly thing very often though, I will say. You got something against it? You think you're better than me? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have anything against it. It's just uh, too easy. Mm-hmm. Makes it too easy for you. I feel like the yield is low, but you you seem to think it's really changed a lot of days for you. I don't seem to have the same history. No, with that's it. fair. Yeah, with three flies, it's hard to get them. You know, all three flies doing what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, whatever. If, if anybody out there reads the Big Rig article, you'll realize that the trailer fly for me is like super small. It's a zebra midge, so it's not really yeah. affecting the drift. The The streamer is the boss, and then up above, I have, well, another pretty small, usually like a 16 mm-hmm. tag. <laughs> anyway, you should try three, Austin. You'd catch so many more fish. Uh, then I could lose all three at once. <laughs> That'd be awesome. 
You could catch three at once, yeah. Well, you oh. could have three on, and you'd lose them all, yeah. Oh, I said I'd lose three flies at once. Oh, lose three flies. Yeah. I thought you meant you'd hook three fish. No. That would never happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Your fishing requires luck. You'd never be that lucky. It's not about numbers, though. No, you could catch as many as you wanted. Mm-hmm. So I think the current popularity of what people call jig streamers has introduced a lot of anglers to this style, kind of. Like this crossover. I call it a crossover. I keep meeting people who talk about streamer fishing with jigs, but they're hardly moving them. And they're mostly drifting. I mean, when we were up in New Jersey, Austin, I was talking to two people yeah. that day. They're digging into the details, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm fishing. But sometimes their jig streamer is only an inch long. You know me. I started asking, like, how? Tell me about this fly. Right. It's seriously an inch long. I wouldn't really call that a streamer. I don't care. Like, call it what you want and treat it how you want it. But if you're fishing this little thing that's like a woolly bugger, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's an inch long. Right, it's on a size 12 or 14 nymph hook. Right, and you're not moving it, well, then it's a, you're nymphing it, basically. That's good, good, good. Call it what you want. Yeah. But the idea that we're talking about with this crossover technique is to get some streamer thoughts going Think of it like a streamer, but to keep that drift also based in nymphing styles. Again, a crossover, half streamer, yeah. half nymphing. I really love that style. It's fun. It keeps things really interesting on days that are slow yeah. when you can't find an answer quickly and it kind of forces you to, to switch approaches. Maybe I'll go from dead drifting nymphs to clipping that off, putting on a rigging film and, and putting on a, uh, a streamer rig yeah. and stripping streamers for a while. And okay, that's not working. Let's try to dead drift them or give slight twitches on an nymph rig and keep the nymph up there. It, it just gives you another thing to hope on and another way to, to reason yourself into the next tactic. Yeah, right on. I told you so often I've been surprised when they'll eat the nymph. And to me, it's like, I just learned something. I go, man, I can move my nymph like that and eat it. Although I will say, what if the streamer wasn't attached 20 inches away? Uh-huh. Would they still have eaten that nymph that was moving like that, right? Yeah. Half of the uh, equation has to do with what that streamer does to slow things down mm-hmm. or impart some different motion that maybe those marabou fibers or hackle fibers or, or something is fluttering mm. and it's causing the, the nymph to... Um, you know, react a certain way too. That too. And and I, I know Grobe, our buddy Grobe, is a big believer in like pairs of flies. Mm. And he would say, man, if they're, if they keep eating your tag nymph up above, yeah, but they're not eating your point, don't change your point. They're eating your tag. Everything's good. <laughs> like, yeah. don't try to double right. up and say, well, I'm going to put two of these flies that are on the tag. Yeah. Grobe would say, don't change it. There's something about that combination, that pair of flies that they like Go with it. Yeah. If it's working, yeah. don't change it. That's I cool. I wouldn't argue against it. Gosh, that was 15 years ago when we were on the Trout Pitting Forum when I remember we had a good <laughs> discussion about that. And I was like, well, yeah. why wouldn't you double up then on that tag that they're eating over and over? He's like, no, no, no. Yeah. They're eating the tag because they're attracted by your point fly, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You good found thought. a combo. You have any other thoughts, Austin? Anything else for season 10, episode yeah. 7? I, uh, I've got one more Do you? retrieve or approach. Uh, how about the speed lead? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you, I Good think you may be able to do this. We've talked about uh, mm. speed leading streamers and things. Good point. Where we move a streamer slightly faster than the, the current yep. uh, is moving. And I think we can do the same thing with nymphs, especially if they're weighted or, you know, speeds of water. But we can drift a nymph 
a little bit faster yeah, yeah. Uh, than what the current is moving. Oh. Now, it's not going to look, it's really not going to look that natural because what's going to go faster than the current of the water unless it's swimming downstream and, you know, nymphs. Maybe. Mm, they could do that, but I'd say it's probably another thing that might be more attractive. What do you yeah. think? No, 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 that's great. I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, that's what uh, Vladi was doing. Right on. From Poland, right? I mean, he was getting yeah. the nymph down there and then leading it faster mm-hmm. than the strike zone. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's probably one of the most successful animations of a nymph outside of a dead drift. It's not a true dead drift, but you're right. moving it faster than a speed lead. Huh. I call it a speed lead on a streamer, but sure, you do it on a nymph as well. Yeah. All right. There it is. That's a wrap on Season 10 of the Trout and Podcast, our skills series covering critical nymphing concepts. Remember that each of these podcasts has a companion article that lives over at the Trout Pitton website. There you'll find resources like articles, videos, and more podcasts that specifically apply to each of these episodes. Those same links are contained within the show notes of this podcast as well. So we'll be back in a few weeks with Season 11 of the Trout Pitton Podcast, and we'll return to the full crew format with long-form discussions around a different topic each week with the whole crew. And don't forget, we're about to add a third podcast format with live streaming. Again, we invite you to be part of our conversation on YouTube, Tuesday, February 27th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our topic is streamer presentations, the super pause. So join us and bring your questions. And I should mention that you can find that live stream link already posted on our YouTube channel, under the header live and I'll post the direct link on the Troutpitten homepage as well as with the companion article for this podcast. All right. We'll see you on Tuesday. Thank you to our show sponsors for this season. Orvis Fly Fishing, Squala, New Trail Brewing Company, Trout Routes, Smith Creek, and Fooling Mill. Drop those companies a line and tell them thank you for supporting the Troutpitten Project. Mr. President, Austin K. Dando. Will you read us out? <laughs> okay, so remember, the Troutbitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Troutbitten website hosts over 1,000 articles with hey endless nah. stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Troutbitten YouTube channel, now featuring the Troutbitten Tip Series, the Fish and Film Series, and the Troutbitten Flybox, all in collaboration Wild Media. The fast replying, wonderful Wild <laughs> Media. He's so fast. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to the Chopit and Podcast. Please give the show a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a comment because it really helps. It does. Until the Chopit and Live Podcast, friends. Yeah. Fish hard. Enjoy the day and find your life on the water. Oh, yeah. Mm. The truth comes out. Do you think we're going to have that opportunity in Patagonia? Come on! (laughs) And you're trying to make me look dumb on purpose. Man, am I glad I looked it up. I'm not your sacrificial lamb. Yeah.
Ooh. Bang, he's got it. That's awesome. Bang. <laughs> Wham. Yeah. And then I set the hook. <laughs> I set the hook. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm the real thing. I'm the real thing. Don't call it the Lysingring lift. You know, presidential. But I will catch more than you. <laughs> Your dreams. Yeah, good job, idiot. Your fishing requires luck. You'd never be that lucky. It's not about numbers, though. 